Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the History Hour here on KZMU. I'm your host and guide, Blaine, and today we're going to be continuing on with our early tourism series here in Moab. And today we have a very special guest, Mr. Dan Mick, who is one of the pioneers in commercial off-road jeeping, and his company is one of the oldest and most successful jeeping companies here in the Moab area. So Jeeps have always played a super important role out here in Moab, and it all was birthed from early exploration. And you had folks like Mr. Bates Wilson and his son who were using the old Willis flat fender Jeeps back in the day. And his son Tug started what was called the Exploration Scouts. And these were just a huge group of these young men, and they all had these old Willis Jeeps, and they would go out and they mapped out a lot of what we know as Canyonlands National Park down there in the Needles District, and they even went up to the Maze and mapped out some of that as well. And as Jeeps became more and more popular here in the United States, it really birthed this off-road culture of people who really liked to get on these off-road trails and easily be able to get deep into backcountry areas. And the Jeep was the very first vehicle that actually made that possible. And in 1967, the Jeep Safari started off. And this was mostly just Chamber of Commerce members. And they really wanted the Jeep community to be welcomed and they already had an event that they called the Rally on the Behind the Rocks Trail, which is basically where our Jeep Safari was birthed. And the following year, they added the Moab Rim Trail, and it has just exploded since then. <laughs> and today, thousands and thousands of Jeeps come out here to Moab for the Easter Jeep Safari Week. And this is basically a week-long event where people will bring their own Jeeps out here, and they will all kind of group up together, and they will all go ride these big day-long trails. So back in the day, not everybody had a Jeep or even the knowledge of how to operate one of these machines to be able to rock crawl and go over these big sandstone fins out here. Um, so they're going to hire a guide, and that guide would have been Mr. Dan Mick. I'd have bought a Corvair from the guy because I had a Corvair when I was a kid. And I would get it up just down the mountain up there, just, you know, up sand flats. From up there, I could see out over these rocks. I was mad. There's some exploring to do, you know. And so, then a guy named George Schultz put an ad in the local newspaper about, uh, you know, starting a four-wheel drive club. I uh, contacted him. A bunch of us met over at the Cotta Corporation office over here, near what is now A1 Storage back in there. And uh, after a couple of meetings, we formed the Red Rock Four Wheel Drive Club. Are you recording? Yeah. yeah. Good. Yeah. What well, year was this? No, it was back in the uh, early 80s, I guess. I don't know. Mm -hmm. Late 70s. But uh, I didn't own a four wheel drive at the time, but I wanted to be in a club that did that stuff. And, you know, originally he posted an ad. Anybody wanted interested in four-wheeling that would want a family four-wheel drive club, you know, contact, and so we did. He was the president of the club. I was the vice president of the club. My wife was the secretary-treasurer kind of thing for the club at the time. And, uh, yeah, we started the club. Uh, 17th annual, 18th annual, 19th annual, the Red Rock Four-Wheelers helped 
the Chamber of Commerce. You know, they had a one day only event called the Easter Safari, mm -hmm. Easter Jeep Safari. And, uh, you know, we went over and said, hey, would you like us to lead trails? Yes! They you know, Chamber's good at starting events mm -hmm. and then getting somebody interested in it and then pushing it to them, let them take it. Gotcha. You know, yeah. That's kind of yeah. what the Chamber <laughs> does. They've done that with, you know, car show and other things. Some of the running events, you know. Well, at the after the 19th safari, shortly after that, George shot himself dead. He oh, went no. into the BLM office over here on Dogwood Avenue, took hostages. In the end, you know, the, the sheriff now then talked him out of killing anybody, and that was the end of George, and it uh, promoted me to being president of the Red Rock Four Wheel Drive Club. Mm. Now, uh, when I was president there for the 20th annual was coming up, I said, we got a lot of people come here. We call them pre-runs, you know, to go out and make sure the trail was open, some rock didn't fall in it in the winter. You don't want to get out there and find out you got 30 vehicles behind you and, oh, my goodness, the trail's blocked. I forgot to run. <laughs> yeah. So we'd go out and pre-run the trails, you know, and so we had people coming, you know, from different parts of the states to wheel all week long because they knew we were doing pre-runs. So I said, let's just not call them pre-runs. Let's just uh, let's make it a week-long event, you know, and, and then put the word out. And everybody thought, no, we'll come to Moab for a week to go jeeping. Right. <laughs> Look at it today, huh? Oh, yeah, absolutely, yeah. yeah. So anyhow, they came, believe me. Yeah, I took my little Aerostar van, and a few of us got in it. And we went all the way to California and passed out brochures, some of the four-wheel drive events that were there, and we did a circle around. And, came back after unloading a whole bunch of little brochures. We had little papers made up and, and boy, the people came, you know, the Jeep, Jeep Safari went from 250 to 500 and something. And then the 21st, it went up to seven something and, you know, it just kept growing. It grew to the point that by the 30th, we had way more people coming than we could handle on trails. Yeah. And then we started, you know, implemented a, 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 a raffle kind of a system, computer, now everybody gets the paper and, you know, people that are close get their request in for their trails right away. People in New York City don't get it in until two weeks, you see. Mm -hmm. So that was unfair. So now we have it set up to where everybody gets their papers and, you know, it's about a month. And then after that, uh, one day everybody can put in their requests. And, uh, you know, the first time we did that, it flooded the computer and crashed it. Uh, the Red Rock, when I say we, I mean the Red Rock four-wheelers with the kids. Are. Mm -hmm. Our business, we started, like I said, about 92. I'd been working the body shop business, and uh, I'd uh, quit working for Val and went and opened up my own shop. And uh, we uh, moved that from here to there and there to here and ended up behind the build in the building that's now behind the car wash here. Got the big steel fence around it now. I had to shop in there for quite a few years. And back when the town was going to hell and everybody was moving, mm -hmm. you know, I, I actually painted that GTO of mine red back then. Pushed it outside for the paint to dry, and the next day, everybody got their pink slips from the uh, Atlas tailings pile out here, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And the mill shut down, and you know, the town went from, you know, every seven houses out of ten on any street were for... I was banned in sale, whatever, you know. Some of them you could just go and pay the taxes on them and it was your house probably. 
But uh, yeah, the price of housing dropped, everything dropped, uh, my employees left. Uh, I had one kid working for me and, uh, you know, I told him I couldn't hire him either, but he says, can you afford $15 a day? <laughs> he stayed around and for $15 a day, he was able to pull his vehicle in his Jeep in or his sister's, his mother's and work on them and paint them. And, and basically if the phone rang or somebody came in, he'd answer it and say, hey, Dan, the end of the day, you need to go call Sister Jones and she needs an estimate. <laughs> so I got to go four-wheeling more and more. Yeah. I had bought a Jeep truck that was wrecked. It was hit in the side by a, a Bronco. The frame was what we call banana peeled and suede. It got hit really hard right in the cab area in bed. Mm. But I straightened it all up the best I could, put a new bedside on it and cab corner. I drove that truck for a long time, you know, out on the trails with my kids and the wife. You know, we eventually went to a Chevy Blazer and a Bronco and other things along the way. And But I traded the Chevy Blazer to one of George Schultz's kids. He had an old Jeep, a CJ7 uh, Golden Eagle, 1978 model that George drove around. When I got my hands on that, we started building it. We built it into a pretty nice vehicle. I drove for quite a few years doing tours where, I, you know, I first started with I figured people would follow behind me, Jeep Safari style. Mm -hmm. On Monday, I'll go do Hell's Revenge. Tuesday, I'll do Poison Spider. Wednesday, so you just figure out what day you wanted to go for a real. Mm -hmm. But I soon figured out everybody wanted to go do Hell's Revenge. Yeah. You know, George laid out the trail there pretty much for the route that is Hell's Revenge. And after his passing, you know, I kept doing things out there. We added more and more things to it along the way, you know, like mm -hmm. the gates of hell and the Escalator and Mickey's Hot Tub and, mm -hmm. you know, Mickey's Hot Tub, the BLM was not really hot about you driving into potholes. Mm -hmm. And so rather than call it Dan Mick's Hot Tub, we called it Mickey's Hot Tub. <laughs> Mickey Mouse was my CB handle at the time. Okay. Uh, so, you know, everybody know it and BLM knows it now and it's actually on the route map as the, an obstacle to go through. Uh, so, you know, with their approval, use this one, stay out of the others, you know, kind of a thing up there. Um, yeah, I know the names of all the obstacles, what they were and what they call them now. Some of them, you know, they call one of them the Devil's Highway Hot Tub. Well, that was known as the car wash for many years. And the other one on the side over there, uh, they call the car wash. Now, that was known as the belly button for many years. And uh, Mickey's Hot Tub was not named after some girl back in the 60s. Her name was Mickey. <laughs> yeah. So, no, it's all good out there. We have a lot of fun, a lot of trails. I, uh, I cut across the Golden Spike Trail many years ago. Mm -hmm. That goes from Poison Spider over to Gold Bar. We were doing search and rescue. Had to go up there a few times to find people, you know. Yeah. And so we got out there. I kept looking at it. And I uh, asked the guys from the Marlboro Adventure team that we flew around with in the helicopter to fly over that one day. And we decided we don't have to stay up near the top of the rim because the canyons get deeper the further you get away, you know. Mm -hmm. And so I talked with some of the Holyoke family and such, and good cowboying out there. They said the same thing. So I had one of my friends that came here early during the week. His name was Texas Bob. And... Uh, I could never remember his name, so if I put Texas in front of it, because that's where he was from, mm -hmm. 
I can find that. It's like yeah. Jim Door Doctor. Yeah. Door, Jim Dordella was his name. He'd show up. These two guys, they'd come out there. We set off Texas Bob on Gold Bar, and I started up on Poison Spider. Each of us had about oh, 18 or so vehicles with us. And uh, we met in the middle and called it the Golden Spike Trail when we touched hands. Uh, he said, well, we're going to head out. We're going to go to Pizza Hut. Uh, which way are you going to go? He thought maybe we'd turn around because they came down some big shelves and ledges. He didn't think it was quite possible to go back up them, you know. So we're going out the way you came. Did you stack some rocks so we can find the route? Yeah. Well, I'll tell you, when I turned around the corner and I seen the golden steps going up there, you know, I thought, holy, how did they get up that thing? But, uh, you know, we did. You know, we got up the stuff. Back then, my old Jeep, that CJ7 that I got from George's kids, it was open differentials on both ends, you know, so it was really a challenge to get up things. But we did. We actually beat them to town. We were eating pizza when they came in. <laughs> they thought they were going to have to come find us in the dark. Right, yeah. But we made it through there, you know, like I said. The next day we ran it, uh, kind of as an unofficial Jeep Safari Trail. You know, I was, like I said, president of the club. I'd stand in that park a lot, which is now the park a lot for Dewey's. Mm -hmm. And he Plaza. Before that, the big building that was sat there was known as the barn. And that's what we used to do Jeep Safari registration in back then. Oh, okay. You know, before that, we did Jeep Safari registration out at the Chamber of Commerce office. When the club took over, we moved it over there. I'd stand up on the tailgate in my truck, stand up there on that Jeep. I mean, you know, and I'd get everybody's attention and I'd say, okay, if you're going to do Poison Spider, you're going to follow Doug McElhaney. Doug, raise your hand. Where you parked? Well, I'm parked over on this street. Okay, get your group over there that wants to go. Okay, if you're going to go on Hell's Revenge, you're going to follow, you know, um, John Ber John Swinton. Call him Burger Burner. John, um, he, he ran milks down here for many years. Go follow Burger Burner. He'll take you up on there. And I figured I got everybody out. Now, I told Texas Bob what I was going to do and what I wanted him to do. I said, get yourself a couple Jeeps to follow you to help stack rocks. And I told a couple people, well, after I told everybody to go, 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 I looked around, you know, and it's got a secret, we're going to go do this and try to make a connection there. There's still 30 so vehicles out there standing there. I said, you guys going to go? Well, we heard you were going to go do something fun today, maybe. Oh, okay. So that's why we split them up in two groups and we took off. Like I said, that's how the Golden Spike Trail got put in there. Awesome. My idea to go in there. And then, of course, there's another trail right off of that called the Rusty Nail, mm -hmm. as opposed to a Golden Spike, the Rusty Nail. Mm -hmm. I wanted to find a way to get down from, you know, another way, instead of going up down Gold Bar all the way. So we looked at that from both ends, you know, and found an impossible route, it seemed, you know, but we managed to. Uh, I think lightning struck a couple of trees that were in the way. That's what it was. I think it was called a steel chainsaw. <laughs> Got rid of a couple of things in the way, and we made a route that goes up through there and down through the other side. And, and uh, you know, the trail was a very popular trail, Rusty Nail. Now you can go up to Rusty Nail, do that there, come off, go do the, the obstacles on the spike, come down Gold Bar. 
it makes a good day and it's all pretty cool instead of a lot of that poison spider going across route. It's very scenic and all, but in the middle of summer it gets very hot and tiring. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so you got to be careful about that. But in 92, like I said, I started doing things, pushing Jeeps around. And pretty soon I figured out there was a lot of people coming to town that would like to go on a ride. So I started offering Hell's Revenge. I was the first person, other than the Jeep Safari, to pull a permit from the BLM to go out on the BLM lands and stuff around here way back when. And probably the first that got state permits. A lot of people that are running out on Hell's Revenge now probably still don't have a state permit to go do it. Because it's just something you don't know about unless they come talk to you about it. You don't have anybody doing law enforcement to make people get that permit at the moment. It's not all that expensive, so I'd rather just do it and have it done, you know. But we went out on Hell's Revenge with people, and, you know, people would follow behind me. And, and back then, I would charge $100 for myself and $20 for gas. For 120 bucks, I'd go out, take people all around all day long, bring them back. I gave the hundred dollars my wife every day. She was happy to have a hundred dollars cash or whatever, and it all worked out just fine. You know, I paid my permit fees, and taxes like anybody else. It's easier to pay taxes on money mm -hmm. than it is to try to hide it. Yeah. So you know, just do it that way. But anyhow, we uh, we were doing good. Then one day I got a call from the guys out there at the Sorrel River Ranch. They had two ladies that uh, he wanted me to take on a jeep ride. And I said okay. I said I'll come out there and take them up Onion Creek, very pretty area, maybe go up Rose Garden Hill and around, which is exactly what we did. But I said, yeah, I said, what are you gonna charge for? I said, well, $100 plus $20 gas. Oh no, he says, you will charge them $600. I went, what? Yeah, you'll charge them $600. Our guests, they want a $600 Jeep tour. They don't want a $100 Jeep tour. But it's the same thing. He says, but, he says, it's what they want. So I went out there and I picked up the two girls. And we had a lot of fun that day and I charged them $600. And I was just like, wow. And, you know, over the next couple of weeks, he had me coming out getting more people and such. Then I realized, you know, I was leaving money on the table. A lot of people would be. And so I raised my rates up, you know, to where they're at today eventually. Mm -hmm. But still, my guides, they go out, and they, they make good money, I pay them good money, and then they'll make anywhere from a 20 to a $200 tip. Mm -hmm. And uh, it just depends, you know, what the group is, what they are. Because the guides do the same thing on every tour, so yeah. it just depends on the people, you know. Right. I did, you know, a long time here, I did a thing with Phil Mueller on the uh, KCYN radio station down here. And every morning we'd go down there, you know, 8 in the morning, we'd talk until 9 about trail reports, trails, what's open, what's not. Uh, you know, if you got a stock rental, you ought to go run up the, the uh, Schaefer Trail into Island in the Sky, you know, below Dead Horse, and around visit Dead Horse, and then down Long Canyon Pucker Pass. So I made that trail real popular for the rental people. Of course, I got into rental Jeeps myself for a while there with the Ford Garage. And uh, we uh, had a lot of rental Jeeps going out. That's where we always sent them out there. People would have a lot of fun. That's a good, nice, fun trip for anybody coming to visit to get to see the parks and such. It's all fun. 
but you know, been a good run. I'm still jeeping uh, all these years later. Uh, you know, I've had people in France uh, send me tickets and flew me to France so I could go four wheel with them over there in France. Uh, we went south of uh, the southern section of France and we uh, had a wonderful time down there. I got to see the Eiffel Tower and other things. And uh, that was good. Uh, we uh, made a lot of professional contacts with other people in the industry over the years. And, and uh, you know, they helped with sponsoring things on my Jeeps over the years. Uh, you know, it's good to be famous, I guess, at some point in time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, we've all had a good time. Now, you know, I'm getting older. I'm 68 now, and uh, you know, I hope to live a lot longer, but I know nothing's forever. So if I can live to be as long as Lynn Ottinger, now there's a character there. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but, um, oh, yeah. Yeah, it's all good. It's all good, for sure. I think that, uh, you know, my sons are taking over the business. My younger son, uh, Richard, he runs it all and uh, he takes care of the day-to-day -day mechanic in whatever and keeps everybody up and in line, gets everybody scheduled. Yeah, cell phones are a wonderful thing. You can do everything on it. Yeah. Made my life easier. Mm -hmm. But, you know, we did search and rescue for quite a few years. We could get the, the search rescue guys out just about anywhere. One day out on top of a uh, trail overlooking the river there, about mile marker 13 and a half. In the middle of the night, my Jeep popped out of gear, rolled down a hill, hit a big rock. That was the end of that CJ7. It mm -hmm. Put the tail light up against the dashboard. And uh, we had to go back out there that day and pick it all up, pull it up the hill. and. It was a long hill all the way to get up there. We used every chain and cable that they had on the record truck to get it up there and then they towed it back out. And then we got back out over here and we got it pulled over into the yard here. And it was getting late and it was starting to get dark. And I looked at the kid that uh, Just Nation had sent over there to do it, Chris. And I said, what do I owe you guys? And he just laughed at me and he says, Just just says good luck on getting it replaced. And he just waved at me and left. Mm -hmm. Since then, every time I see somebody broke down on the road or whatever, I like to stop if I can, tell them the phone number, call Jess, get them to come in. So I know it's paid back huge dividends, you know. Oh, yeah. Yeah. But uh, that's the kind of people Jess Nation and others are around town. Mm -hmm. You know, we all try to pay it forward whenever we can. But during that time I've been here, I put in four years on the Moab City Council. Um, you know, I enjoyed that. It was a good time. We accomplished things we needed to do in the city at that time. One of them was we hired a city manager, Donna Metzler. And Donna, you know, served the city for 20 plus years. She did a good job all those years. Uh, yeah, we had a good time. But all things change. So we're four-wheeling now all the time. People call us up. They, uh, I got uh, a couple of drivers out on the trail right now. Hell's Revenge with a group. Uh, our sunset tours that we offer are very popular. People like to go do arches and things, grab something to eat, and still go out and do a sunset tour. So that's real popular, folks. 
to get them out there and run them out to the point up and down the gates of hell, an obstacle that I pioneered many years ago. Mm. A friend of mine who used to own the magazine there, Four Wheel Drive Sport Utility, we were out there doing a BF Goodrich tire presentation. At lunchtime, he had to go to the bathroom, so he goes over and hikes down this hill. He comes up another one. He comes and gets me. He says, Dad, 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 look at this. He says, we can drive down over here and up over there. I said, well, maybe. Now, this is back when it wasn't illegal to go. You could, you could build stuff, you know. Yeah. BLM wasn't as strict back then. So we, uh, I said, you know, uh, maybe. So it was a few years after he died in an airplane crash, him and his wife, that I went out there and I drove down the spot opposite of what he thought and drove up the hard spot. I got to tell you, when I first got down in there, not knowing if I could get back up out of there with that CJ-7, I had a cold brown moment with the wall back there. Mm. Your stomach starts to turn, and I was pretty scared. But we turned around, I drove up that thing, got out the top there with that Jeep. And, uh, you know, we, we had to come up with a name with it. A few days later, I had some friends from uh, back east with me. I said, come here, we're going to go down here. He looks over there, he goes, you going down there? I said, yeah. He goes, oh, shh. Got to the bottom. He said, how are we getting out of here now? I said, we're going to go up there. And he goes, no, shh. Well, my little daughter, Lacey Ann, was with us, and she was about three, four years old. Anyhow, she's at home playing with her little toys, running over the couch later that day, going up and down over the pillows, going, oh, shh. My wife says, who talked to them? Where's daddy? Oh, <laughs> had to change the name. Yeah. That's when we changed them to the gates of hell. You know, one goes down, one goes up. Uh, you know, it's easy going down and more difficult going up. Mm -hmm. You know, one's a highway to hell, the other one's a stairway to heaven. Mm -hmm. Kind of tells you how many people are going to go in each direction, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, it's it's one of the most popular obstacles, I would say, in the Moab area now is to go out through the gates of hell. Everybody that comes here wants to do it. Of course, we offer it as part of our tour the standard price all the time. We go up down it every day. And uh, have a good time there. If you're not careful, it's very easy to get too high on the right-hand side and lay it over on the left. Mm -hmm. Or if you fall off on the le left too high, you drop the right tires in the groove and it'll stop you. Mm -hmm. I was coming up that one day and I had the uh, right rear wheel snap the axle clean off. I guess it was just its time, you know, because I was just doing nothing hard. And I cracked it. I looked at the old tires bouncing down the hill behind me. Luckily, there was nobody down there. Well, I drove it to the top, dragging that rear end up all the way up to the top on three wheels. Once we got it up at the top there, I called my son, and he brought out some parts to put it back together for us. My customer for the day, I wanted to give him a, a free tour for it, you know, and so that kind of ruined his day. Oh, no, 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 no. He says, I got to work on damn mixed Jeep. He says, this was great. <laughs> he says, this is great. He says, you know, and he paid me the full fee and gave me a huge tip at the same time. I tell you, you never can't guess people. Yeah. But, uh, you know, we've, we've uh, upgraded the Jeeps from the stock five bolts. Uh, you know, now we're running the eight bolt Terra 60 units, uh, you know, a ton and a half units. We haven't had too much breakage unless you forget the lug nuts, tighten them down. That's why the torque wrench is right there to remind the kids what they got to do. Yeah, you know, we did a lot of talking on the radio back then about safety.
you know, going into their back country, we tell people to take at least a gallon and a half of water for every person you got. And if you don't use it, you're going to find somebody that will use it, you know. I used to stop there on Hell's Revenge where we crossed the bike trail. There'd be people sitting there in the bushes. Hey, you got any water? Yeah, I said. And so we passed out lots of water to all the Cub Scouts that were there. Scout master says, I don't understand. He says, we ran this, uh, you know, a couple of us pre-ran it on bikes uh, last week. It took us an hour and a half. He says, we've been out here close to six hours now and we're still not done. Everybody's drinking their water. Pretty soon they're all out of water. I said, hey, what's that Boy Scout model? I'll always be prepared. Yeah. <laughs> I remember that day, you know, I had ice in the cooler and they scraped every last bit of water and ice out of the thing. I had some cans of soda pop in there so it was kind of titty looking water you know mm -hmm. yeah. ah they didn't care they took it all <laughs> we were going up towards the Gemini bridges one day and I had some people following me and I came across this uh, group of girls and uh, they'd already passed the Goonie bird coming out down the trail but they had stopped when the one girl had collapsed and I pulled over this one girl she'd stepped out one of them stepped out in the road with their arms down, kind of waving, kind of looked like an alien in the middle of the night. I pulled up, I said, can we help you? She says, yes, 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 you got any water? I said, we got lots of water, no problem. So as I was getting out the water, I said, anybody here got a headache? And all the hands go up, you know. I said, anybody here stop sweating? And they all pointed to the one girl that was laying underneath the tree. And uh, she was in trouble, you know. She was that far away from going into shock yeah. and totally dehydrated. So I uh, busted open a bunch of water. We watered everybody up and I actually had a fresh box of chocolate ding-dongs. Mm -hmm. I opened that up and everybody got a little chocolate ding-dong, get a little sugar energy back in them mm -hmm. so they could continue on. We did load that girl in the back of my Jeep. She could not ride. Mm -hmm. We run into people like that all the time. Hell's Revenge last year. Husband and wife, about 10 at night, we come out of there in the dark with our sunset tour. We met them where the uh, abyss is at. And, you know, can we help you guys? Yeah, yeah, we've, we've gotten lost. We think we're on the trail. Are we going the right way? I said, yeah, but it's dark. I said, you ain't going to go up down them hills without no lights. I said, get out in my headlights and stay ahead of me. We'll go out with you. Well, his wife yelled water right off the bat. And we got him with water. Well. As we were going through the rocky ravine area and starting up out the trail, he was riding his bike, but she's just pushing her, walking it. Uh, about the top of that spot there where we hit the trail cross and going up a big hill. My passenger, he says, I can't stand this watching her. She's in trouble. So he jumps up, laid her bike down, took her by the hand, put her in my Jeep. He went out and he rode the bike out with her husband. And she was inside the Jeep and you know, my dad used to tell me that these alcoholics in the Skid Row in Chicago, they'd, uh, they'd go to work in the morning where they had to have a drink. So they'd undo their tie and wrap it around, they'd wrap the hand around it here. They'd get a drink, they'd be shaking so bad they'd use the tie to pull it up to their mouth. That lady was shaking that bad. She, she's shaking water all over the place trying to get that bottle up to her mouth. I know for a fact we saved her life that day. You know, she'd have gone down, and her husband would have rode out. And in the middle of the night, 
that have been it. We did come across the guy up there that same area years ago that, you know, it was it was like it is now, hotter than Hades, you know, 110 degrees temperature, 45 days in a row. And come over top. Now, I've been doing search and rescue, so I'm always looking for a guy without saying anything to my guests. I'm looking for somebody under a bush over here, a handlebar or something, you know, toes sticking up. I come over the hill, and there's this guy, bike laying on the ground, toes to the sky, hands open, face up. There's my dead guy I've been dreaming about, you know. I rode up there, and I told my guests, please stay in the car while I check him out. I slammed the door, and I wasn't looking at him, but the kid in the back seat was. He yelled, he flinched. He what? <laughs> He's still alive. I pulled over here. He was totally unconscious. Um, I took a towel and I laid it across his forehead and one another one across his chest. Uh, I took another one. I soaked it good and I slapped it right up there between his legs. Yep, when that hit the groin area, he came alive. Woo! It was good and cold. I got him sitting up next to the Jeep in about 10 minutes there, and he couldn't stand or nothing, you know, but he was blistered bad. His lips were all cracked and everything. He rode a Harley-Davidson from Detroit here in two days and then decided he wanted to go do this bike trail, so he rented a bike, and he had that thing out there, and he was down. I found out that he thinks he fell down about 11.30 because he was at 11 o'clock when he decided to take the Jeep trail out instead of bike. He'd been riding all morning, didn't see any bikes, it was over 100 degrees. More, most people know not to go out there. But he was caught out there, and you know we uh, we managed to get him better. And I told him I'd go to the top of the hill. I got guests with me in my jeep. I'll, I'll call search and rescue. They'll come out and get you. Don't do that. He's hanging on my leg. Don't leave me. Don't no. take me out of here. I said I can't. Well, what I ended up doing was going to the top of the hill, calling my son. Richard, who went out there, picked up the guy. When I left, he was crying. You're leaving me, I'm gonna die. I said, no, I got the radio contact with my son. I'm gonna go right over there, I can see you, and I'm not gonna leave until I see my son there to take care of you. So I told my son, get him loaded up, take him to the hospital, he needs an IV. He said he would walk out himself, he took three steps and fell. Hmm. He couldn't walk or nothing, he was just rubbery legs, totally exhausted. And that'll happen to you folks if you're not out there prepared. So we definitely saved his life. My son called me up and said, Dad, you were in town. I said, yeah, I'd take him to the hospital. No, he wanted to go to this room and leave the bike there. Okay, and I'll take him out. I can't. He locked himself in says, go away. Not a thank you or anything from the guy. Well, my daughter was working that hotel, the Ramada at the time. So she went over there and checked on him before she went off shift at 10 o'clock, knocked on the door, housekeeping, room service, Pizza delivery, whatever, no answer. Yeah. So she popped the door open with her card, you know, and pushed it and hit the bike, and the guy's laying on top of the bike unconscious inside the hotel room. So she calls the ambulance. They get there. They get him on a gurney. They get an IV in his arm, and they got the bag hanging. They get ready to load him in the ambulance, and he comes back to again. What? I told you. I don't want to go to the hospital. I don't want to go. He starts pulling at the IV. And they said, settle down, you know, and he was able to refuse service. They pulled out the IV after they pushed a whole bag of fluid in him. He went back in his room. So they got a piece of paper signed that he did not want him to, you know, give him any aid. So 
he passed away in the middle of the night. There you go. It's on your own, you know. So my daughter went and checked on him the next morning about 8 o'clock to see how he was doing. And he'd already checked out. He's gone off towards California, riding that Harley Davidson in the heat again. No rest, no nothing. Hell, he probably passed out on the bike and crashed somewhere. I don't know. But, you know, the biggest thing I would like to tell people is if you're going into the backcountry, be prepared, over-prepared. Take stuff that you think somebody else might need water, food, some snack bars, whatever. Every day when my jeeps go out on the trail, they're carrying a full case of water. They've got uh, more than enough snacks for all buddy in the vehicle and anybody they might find to share it with, you know. I, uh, I found two jeep, two bikers up on the Golden Spike Trail in an area we call where Eagles Dare. And they were up there, they'd spent the night lost. They were trying to find, so I put them on the right route map, I give them a map, do it wherever they get out. And, you know, I just sent them on their way. Well, ten years later, these two guys show up want to go on a Jeep tour. <laughs> Don't you remember us? You saved our life. <laughs> you know, and I, I get that every once in a while from somebody. Yeah. Yeah. You know, we had two boys that died up in the rocks out here uh, above Hell's Revenge years ago on the Porcupine Rim. And search and rescue was involved there for days. Eventually, they were found by a helicopter. They climbed back in a cave, passed away. Well, the mothers of those two boys, you know, they were here with their husbands searching and everything else. And I've made good friends with them, and they come out now every year. And we go out and around. They say, you know, the father told me, he says, I can see why my son come here. I can see the beauty of the area. He just made a bad mistake not being prepared. Again, this backcountry will kill you if you're not prepared. We see that all the time with search and rescue. You know, search and rescue. I loved doing that with the Jeep. It was good until I lost that Jeep. I just, well, I'm getting too old for that. It's kind of hard to search all night and go do a Jeep tour of the day and end up going out and getting searched again all night again, you know. But, you know, Jeepin's good. We got started back then, built it up into the business that it is now. And, uh, you know, I like to say we were number one on TripAdvisor for seven years. And then the other guys started paying TripAdvisor by Book It Now, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. So we've slipped down to number (laughs) six. Oh. (laughs) Everybody else is paying TripAdvisor when they do. We don't do that, see? We don't charge more money so we can cover that. Mm-hmm. We just have a set rate, and that's what we do. But yeah, we're still, I think, the number one Jeep tour company in town. You know. Yeah. Uh, but um, you know, it's it's definitely a place that I cherish. Uh, my son, my older son, he goes out every week. He gets on Hell's Revenge, and he rides his little motorcycle around there, picking up trash. So the trail is kept clean all the time. And, and the kind of trash that we find out there is toilet paper somebody left behind. Yeah. Please, yeah. folks, take a plastic bag, put it in there, and take it back out with your disposal of it at home. The BLM at one time, there was a story I read in the newspaper about how to, how to take a dump in the backcountry. There was a couple of ways, you know. But the BLM-approved way was to take a dump on the rock, get a stick, smear it out all smooth, 
so it could evaporate faster and blow away in the wind. That was what they said at that time. Well, I used to just walk around until you found an old cow pie that was hard. Take care of your business, pick up the cow pie, put it on, smash it down. Warning, folks, there's a pallet right there. Yeah. It's cow pie. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, today, you know, there's, there's toilets at the beginning of the trails and such. And we can always get people back out to a restroom. Plus, stop there and say, okay, last restroom from here on. You know, we got facilities everywhere. Mm-hmm. They go, facilities? I said, yeah. You know what facilities are? You go to the bathroom there. Facilities, you go behind. Mm-hmm. Yep. <laughs> they get a little laugh out of that, you know. But Yeah, these areas like Hell's Revenge, which are being pounded by so much use out there, mm-hmm. are really in pretty good shape mm-hmm. for the number of people that are out there. We, we're good stewards of the land out there. We try to keep people on the designated trails now. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, for a while the gates of hell was off limits and then the Jeep Safari got it put in on their permit. <clears throat> then us trail operators were able to go do it again. Things like that. There's a couple other places up there I'd like to see open again, but we just keep talking about it. Nothing gets done, I think. But, um, yeah. Moab, if you love the area here, come and enjoy if you if you can't stand another particular group, it's probably not the place for you to live. Mm-hmm. You know, um, there's a bumper sticker once came out. You know, New York, Tokyo, Paris, London, Moab. Mm-hmm. You know, trying to compare us to all them places. Well, we've been discovered. You know, the area you look at around, you see a number of hotels being built. Well, they got hotels built right now. They can't put any staff in, so not even open yet. You know? But uh, it's going to continue to grow. They're building houses. Look out the Spanish Valley Drive. Big lots there with all the sewer, fire hydrants, roads put in, ready to start building on. I drove out further past the vet clinic. I see three new houses being built in one of the lots out there. New subdivision there. As they build these nice houses, people in town that are living in you know, an older house, they move out there, nice home. You'd think that the house downtown would you know, be affordable housing or something. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, it's, it's incredible. Yeah. I just saw a house uh, the other day on less than four acres go on the internet here in town for 200 and less than 250,000. And you know, two bedroom house, uh, you know, needs a little kitchen remodel and said something like that. You know, that went on the internet last night. It's probably sold already. Yeah. You know, my house across the street, when I bought it up there, cost me 52000 mm-hmm. or about, you know. And today, that house, if it sold, it'd be 350000 It's crazy. Things could crash again at any time. You never know, though. I think that, you know, when I was on city council, we tried not to have all our eggs in one basket. We wanted more of to diversify and have more things than just tourism or more things than just a potash plant or whatever. And like I said, when the Atlas Tailings Pile closed up, that was like a death blow to Moab there for quite a while. Um, 
it was tough to keep the city rolling, but we did. We did, and the town's doing good today. I'm proud to be called a Moabite. Mm -hmm. You know, I've made a lot of friends here over the years, and you know, when you're on city council, you can't make everybody a friend. Somebody's going to hate you for something. You know, I hope that, uh, you know, if uh, there's anybody out there that thinks I did them wrong, please accept my apologies. You know, the last thing I want is to go to my grave with people being mad at me. Not that I'm dying or anything right now, but, you know, I just, you know, life is short, folks. Enjoy it. You know, use the lands responsibly. Responsible use of public lands. Not abuse, but not locking them up either. They're out there for everybody to enjoy. You know, stay the trail. You know, if you see a mud hole, slow down, go through it easy. Don't go around it, making new tracks around a bush or something. You know, responsible use of public lands. Yeah. That's all really good stuff, yeah. Yeah. That's one thing I love about your company. Yeah. Is that it's one of the original family-owned and operated companies here in Moab. We are, still are. Yep. We're not a big corporation. A lot mm -hmm. of people see that on our website and comment that they chose us over a bigger company because they wanted, you know, that we we advertise on site, you know, family fun, mm -hmm. um, you know, a personalized tour, meaning that if there's two people in the Jeep, we don't go get two more people from another hotel. Mm -hmm. You get the Jeep with the driver, mm -hmm. two more people who want to go out, we send them with another Jeep. Mm -hmm. Keeps my guys busy, employed. Um, you know, my business is not only taking care of me, but, you know, three, four, or five other families. Mm -hmm. um, I got one driver, he just drives for us and he made his, makes his truck payment, you know, mm -hmm. and more. And, uh, you know, just, uh, it's just good. I have a new driver with me that he's asked me for a job for 10, 15 years every time he saw me. This year we hired him, and he's doing a wonderful job, too, for us. And I had a young kid come in here a couple months ago, 22 years old. He wanted to drive for us. I said, I can't. He said, you're not old enough. He said, what do you mean? He said, I own my own Jeep. I've been Jeeping for six years. I said, I know. you got to experience all, but my insurance company wants you to be 25. He said, well, I'm an Eagle Scout. So I called up my insurance company and said, oh, he's got to be 25. I said, but he's an Eagle Scout. Oh, hire him, he says. <laughs> hire him right now. Aaron was driving down the road for somebody else, and they changed what they were going to be doing. He wanted to go jeeping. Mm -hmm. He saw my billboard out there on Main Street, pulled over, gave me a call, came by. He said, that's the guy I want to jeep for, you know. I want to do that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. And he's turned out to be just a wonderful kid. Mm -hmm problem is they can't find a place to live you know he's out there camping somewhere mm -hmm. the more people you have camping in places just like that fire we had up there mm -hmm. Pack Creek mm -hmm. truth be told there's probably somebody local living in a tent up there or whatever mm -hmm. uh, going back to that same fire every night and camping again you know because they can't they're working in a hotel or something you know, they got a job, maybe carpenter, they can't find a place to stay. 
to the mountain, quick, crazy place. So, you know, it's sad that big fire took place. Yeah, and as you go, responsible use of public lands. If you guys are going to be out there on the lands, make sure you dump at least a gallon of water on your fire. Stir it good, make sure it's out, out, out. You know, you got to be able to do that kind of thing. Yeah, the guys that all work for me, you know, they, uh, you know, I, I got them, they're like family to me, you know. I'm going to be hired Aaron, 22 years old. Got him out on trail. He says, well, what do you think? Am I, am I hired? I said, you were hired the other day. I said, you're part of the family now. <laughs> he kind of laughs. He likes that, you know. Yep. Yeah, so we do we do have fun. Like I said, all started out with George Schultz in a little ad in the East, in the uh, advertiser years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, a bunch of us like Chip Rocks and others uh, all came in on that first day. Mm-hmm. Um, John from down there at Milts, uh, he was one of the first guys there. John Burgerburner. Sensenbrenner's his name. I called him Burger Burns. I could never remember his first last name. <laughs> but he was there. Still a member of the club. Him and I, I think, were the last two originals. Um, and I don't even think he has a Jeep. He just comes out to the meetings once in a while. Maybe about to where I am. But yeah, life is good. It's been fun. Um, I'm going to keep going and, you know. People ask me if I'm retired. Hell, I retired back in 92. (laughs) I've been jeeping ever since, doing what I love.